this enemy that came in, he tried to destroy the church. And one thing we know about this enemy is that he has workers, right? Just like the Lord has angels, just like he has instruments like us that go out and share the gospel. Well, guess what? He has enemies himself. And this enemy that he has, he actually has him in the church. And that's where he is assigned. And he is assigned to bring destruction to the church. And he is assigned to bring destruction to the people of God. See, this enemy, what he does is with his workers, he likes to create problems. He likes to create problems in the church. He likes to create problems with people. He wants to lead people astray. And ultimately, we know his purpose is to bring destruction upon the people of God. And why is this? Because the devil lost you. See, you once belonged to him. Before you gave yourself to the Lord, guess who you belonged to? You belonged to Satan, right? Until we became children of God, we were children of wrath. We were children that belonged to Satan. And I know that that sounds harsh, and I know that some of us don't like that sound. And I know the outsiders, the non-believers, don't like the way that sounds, but it is the truth. See, we belong to Satan, and before we gave ourselves to the Lord, this is who we belong to. And one thing that the, we know about the enemy is that he has been extremely successful at sending in sheep with wolf, wolves' clothing into the church. See, none of us, we don't really know. When new people come into the church, we don't know where they come from. We don't know their background. We don't know any of that, right? And many of them, as they come into the church, one thing that we know is that they come in talking all this Christianese, right? They say the right words. They say the right things. They, they are, you know, speaking it. But as time goes on, you begin to see who they really are and what they're really made of. And you begin to see their fruit. See, when it comes to the devil, he has his demons, right? He has his minions. His minions are what? They are, minions are basically followers, right? They're followers of, uh, of this supreme leader when it comes to the demonic realm. It is the enemies himself. And he has all these demons. And these demons that he has are assigned to you as well as assigned to me. And they're constantly badgering us, right? They're constantly trying to deceive us, to lie to us. And one thing we know about the devil is he doesn't stop. The devil is relentless when it comes to attacking you, when it comes to wanting you to sin, when it comes to tempting you, lying to you, deceiving you. And he is nonstop. And one thing that we know as we knew ourselves is that, you know what, if we're not grounded in the truth, guess what? We fall prey to his deception, right? You know, we fall prey. I mean, there's words that people use and they're so convincing in some of the things that they say and they speak with authority, right? And so you begin to think, well, you know what, maybe they're right and maybe the things that they're telling me are true. And so we begin to follow the things that they tell us and we begin to fall into their tactics and we begin to, to you know what, just head down a road of destruction. See, when we look at the spiritual realm, I want you to know this. When we are going to see it today, you're going to see that there is a battle that goes on. You know what, you and I do not have eyes to see what's going on around us. You and I didn't have eyes to see right now that the demons were working with those wires, right? You and I were not aware that, you know what, just to get to church, there are demons that are assigned to you that are hindering you from coming into this place. You know what, they're constantly at work and they're constantly battling to keep us from doing the work of God, to hinder us, to keep us from hearing the truth and to lead us astray. And so as we look at this, right, we're going to see that there are messengers of God and there are messengers of the devil. And one thing that we know is that we can't see them, but it is actually taking place. 
It is actually going on before us. You know what? If God were to see us, to allow us to see the spiritual realm, I do not think that our eyes could comprehend, I mean, could, could stand it. Our eyes could not absorb it. There would be no way that we can accept it. I mean, we would probably go crazy looking at the things that, that are going on around us. You know, as we get into this, I want us to jump right into it because there's so much that the Lord has to share with us. And in Jude, we're going to read the full chapter. I mean, I'm sorry, we're going to read verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to expound in verse 8. That way we're reminded of exactly what Jude was trying to share. It says there, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though, you once knew this, that the Lord having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual morality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example of suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. He gave three examples there. The three examples were those that didn't make it to, to the promised land, those that were destroyed because of their unbelief, of their rebellion against God. These were the Israelites, the first generation. We know they were destroyed. He talks about the angels who did not keep their proper domain. He talks about them also, you know, suffering ultimate destruction. And also we see the Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was, was destroyed. Why? Because of their sexual perversion. And we know that every single one of, a, of these were destroyed. We're going to expound here. We're going to begin in verse 8, and we're only going to cover two verses today. In verse 8, it says, Likewise, all these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. We are speaking of messengers of God, and we're going to be speaking of messengers of the devil. Here, we are going to talk about these messengers from the devil. And these messengers actually from the devil are actually human messengers, right? And we see there, we see the fact that they come into the church. We see that, that, as I've been talking about, that these are Satan's helpers. And as Jude explains, that he calls them dreamers. He calls them dreamers, and he says these dreamers, they do three things. As a reminder, Jude speaks in threes. He says they defile the flesh, they reject authority, and they speak evil of dignitaries. Why would he call them dreamers? See, one thing about these men, one thing about these men that, that as we know that, you know, they are used by Satan, they are called dreamers because they live in a dream world. See, they live in delusion. They live in deception. They live in the lies of the devil himself. See, they believe Satan lies. And because they believe Satan lies, this is why they're called dreamers, right? They're in delusion. They're not in reality. They lost truth. See, they once walked in truth, and what happened to them is they no longer walk in the truth. Now they walk in the lives of Satan. This is why they're dreamers. They're no longer living in the truth of God. 
And so as we know that they now believe the lies and they're living the lies, they come into the church. And what they try to do is they try to get others to follow them. See, these are messengers that Satan has sent into the churches to try to get them to follow them. And so what do they do? You know, one thing that we know that they do is, as it says there, they defile the flesh. See, one thing that we see here is that these dreamers, they come into the church, and what they try to do with the people of God is they try to have you fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's what they do. They defile, they pollute, they make evil, they, they make dirty, they make unclean, and they convince you to say that, you know what, it's okay to fulfill your lust, right? It's okay to fornicate. It's okay to live in a promiscuous lifestyle. It's okay to do these things. Because this is what they want to live out, right? This is what Satan has convinced them of. As we read earlier, right? They've taken the grace of God and they made it, and, and it, they've taken it into lewdness. You know, into sexual perversion, into, into just sexual immorality. And this is what they do, right? They, they turn the grace of God into lewdness and they say, you know what? It's okay to have sex. And you know why it's okay? Because God's grace covers it. God loves you. You know what? God understands you. God understands that, you know what, that, that you have these desires and, and he brought you this person and you know what? He's going to feel or she's going to feel your desires. So it's okay. You know what? God will understand us. He knows we're weak and he's going to forgive us. You know, this is what they come into the church to do. The next thing that we know that they do is they reject authority. These guys do not like to be under authority. Understand this. These guys that come into the church, these guys that are you or girls that are used by Satan, they come into the church and they don't like being under any authority. You know what? They don't want to be under the authority of God. They don't want to be under the authority of the word of God. And they don't want it. They say, you know what? Don't worry about it. You know what? Who is Jesus Christ? I mean, is he the final authority? You know, they begin to have these, these, these thoughts and, and these things coming into your mind. And so the only authority that they have is the authority of satisfying their flesh, right? This is the authority that I live under, just to satisfy my, myself. And they teach the people, you know what? And, and not immediately, but eventually, you know what? You don't have to obey the word of God. You know, as we said, they initially appear as Christians, but in reality, you're going to see their fruits as time goes on. And this is these people that come in. And the third thing that they do is they speak evil of dignitaries. Who is a dignitary? Let's talk about this, right? Who is a dignitary? A dignitary is anyone that holds a high office or rank. See, whether it be in the church, whether it be in the government, or whether it be in the heavenlies, these people have authority. They have been given authority. Did you know that any authority that exists has been given by God for his purpose? And so they reject all authority. They don't want, I'm, I'm sorry, they, as, as, I'm sorry, they speak evil of dignitaries. So any authority that God has placed, they speak evil of it. They don't want it. They, you know what, they, they say, you know what, don't listen to them. You don't have to worry about them. You know, and to stress this point, what Jude does is Jude is going to give us an example. Jude is going to give us an example to understand, to understand exactly what he's trying to say here. And this example has so much with it. And it is an example that for us, that we are to take to heart because you and I need to know this. And this is why it's in the gospel, because God wants you to know it. God 
wants you to know these things. And let's read in verse 9. He says, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, there not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. See, we have here, we have two dignitaries, okay? We have two leaders. One is a leader of a demonic realm, and then we have a leader within the heavenlies, within the spiritual kingdom. And it's important for us to understand what was taking place here. See, if we understand what's taking place here, then it's all going to make more sense. See, what happened is that the devil and, Mike and, uh, and Michael the archangel, they were contending for the body of Moses. What does the word contending mean? Contending means to struggle, to fight over. You know what? There was a battle over the body of Moses. Imagine, picture that, right? I want you to have a visual of this. I want you to picture Michael the archangel and the devil fighting over the body of Moses. We're talking about his dead body, right? We're talking about his corpse. That's what they were fighting over. There was a struggle. There was a battle. They were contending. It just wasn't a, you know what, excuse me, can I have that body? It wasn't any of that. It was actual a fight. The devil wanted the body of Moses. Why would the devil want the body of Moses? I guess we don't have any, uh, I just noticed that. We don't have our scriptures up. But uh, we're going to have to put them up there, okay? But today we don't. So we're going to have to go through these scriptures. Let's open up to Deuteronomy chapter uh, 34. Deuteronomy chapter 34. Let's read about this. Let's read about uh, the Lord and what he did when Moses passed away. See, there was something that the Lord did when Moses passed away. And not many of us understand this or have heard of this, but it is actually a reality. In verse 5 of Deuteronomy chapter 34, and we're going to get this as we're close to finishing up the book of Deuteronomy on Thursdays. But as we see there in verse 5, it says there, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab. Remember, Moses, because he misrepresented the Lord, he got angry with the people of God that the Lord says, You know what, Moses? You are not going into the promised land. And Moses, at a time, he kept badgering the Lord and bugging the Lord over, over it. And the Lord says, you know what, Moses, stop. I don't want to hear it anymore, right? You're not going in. Stop babbling. Stop crying. You caused this. And so when Moses dies, and the only thing he could see, the Lord says, you know what, I'll be gracious towards you, right? I'm going to allow you one thing. I'm going to allow you to see the land, but you can't go in it. So he was able just to see it, but he never went into it. And so this is what happens when he passes on in verse 5. It says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, op opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. Imagine that. Isn't that, you know what, you would think to yourself, wait up. Abraham was buried. We know where Abraham was buried. We know where Isaac and we know where Jacob and we know where... Uh, uh, um, Joseph, but something about Moses. The Lord says, you know what? I don't want anybody to know where Moses was buried. You think to yourself, why would he do this? Why would God do this, right? Why is it that God would not want anybody to get the body of Moses? 
Well, we know one thing. We know one thing about Moses is Moses is highly regarded with the Jews, right? I mean, he is just, <clears throat> excuse me, he is just highly regarded. I mean, he is just uh, up there, right? When it comes to Moses, he is up there. And we know that there are some that make him parallel to Jesus. And in the book of Hebrews, it talks about this, right? That he's above Moses. He's above the high priest. He's above all of these, right? But we know one thing about the devil is that the devil likes to use anything to steal the worship of God away. And so there must have been something in the mind of the devil when it came to the body of Moses. What did de the devil want to do with the body of Moses? The only thing that I can think of is that, you know what? He wanted to create the body of Moses into an idol worship. Whatever he was going to do with it, whether he was going to make a shrine, whether he was going to, you know what, do whatever he was going to do with it. All he wanted was to steal the worship away from God through the body of Moses. What and how he was going to do that, only God knows. And I guess when we go to heaven, we'll find out. We can ask him, hey, what was the devil trying to do with the body of Moses? And I'm sure we know that as the Lord knows, we will know too. So actually, when you get up there, you're going to know it already. You won't have to ask the Lord. But we do know is that the devil wanted to make him an object of worship. And the reason the devil does this is because through these things, he takes away the worship of God. I want you to understand that when apparitions appear, do you know what an apparition is? It is a supernatural appearance of somebody that died or somebody that passed away, right? And what he does is he brings these apparitions to play so that people can begin to worship them. Did you know that there are apparitions today going on all over the world? Many of, these, uh, many of us know that there's apparitions, what, of saints, right, and the mother of Jesus and all of these that are coming in. And many believe that, you know what, that those are actually Mary. And that is actually the mother of Jesus that comes and speaks to you. I want you to know one thing. If that was the case, then Mary would have said, you know what, you worship God the Father. If, you, if I see any of you worshiping me, then I will come back down and I will spank you bad. But instead, what happens with all of them? They begin to worship Mary. And it steals the worship away from Jesus. You have other saints that, you know what, that there's been apparitions of other saints, right? And guess what happens there? They begin to worship that person, that individual. And we know what the first commandment is, right? You shall worship the Lord your God. You shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not bow to them. You shall not make any carved images of those that are in heaven above, those on earth, and those are in, that are in the sea beneath. Only God deserves worship. And these apparitions that come about are stealing the worship away from God. They're breaking the first commandment, the second commandment, right? And these people that say, I follow the Lord, but yet they don't want to listen. They're blinded to these things. See, this is what the devil was probably intending to do with the body of Moses. What he was going to do with it, we have no idea, but we do know one thing, is that he was going to transform that into an idol worship. I want to give you from 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. It says, and no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. See, the devil likes to come into, in, bring these images to us that we know that we're holy, that we're good people, right? And why does he bring this? 
Because he says, you know what? They're well respected. They're well honored. They're loved. And so because of this, you know what? I'm going to transform myself into that type of appearance or, you know, or whatever, or one of my demons to transform themselves into that type of appearance to steal the worship away from God. I want to go back to the struggle. The devil must have found out where the body of Moses was buried. Remember, what did we read in Deuteronomy? That the Lord hid that body, right? He was the one that buried it. He was the one that put it away. So what happened after that? The devil must have found out where it was. So what does the devil do? He says, I'm going to go get it. I'm going to go steal it, right? I want to create this, into, this, um, this thing that people will worship. And so this is when the Lord sends Michael, the archangel. Imagine, he sends Michael, the archangel. And he goes and he says, you know what? I want you to go battle. I want you to go fight against the devil when it comes to the body of Moses. And we see here that, of course, Michael, the archangel, he has victory. He has victory. And in this victory... Jude makes this point. See, because these people, they don't respect any authority. They, 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 they come against dignitaries. They speak evil of them. So the devil himself uses his people the same way, right? If the devil himself lived in the presence of God and he didn't respect God to honor him and to obey him, why would he, he want anybody to respect anyone else? And that's his nature, right? I'm not going to respect anybody. And so we have... These men that come into the churches, these women that come into the churches, and they do the same thing. They're not going to respect any authority. They're not going to respect anyone, and they're not going to listen to them. They're going to speak evil dignitaries. And, and the point that Jude was trying to make here was that imagine this. You have Michael, the archangel, when it came to Lucifer, when it came to the devil himself, he did not speak against him. He did not curse him. Imagine that Michael the archangel did not curse him because Michael the archangel understands authority. He understands dignitaries. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to rebuke you. I'm not going to curse you. Guess who's going to curse you? The Lord. See, you and I, we are never called to fight against the devil. And I know that there are many that talk about, you know what, rebuke the devil, let's rebuke him, let's do this, let's do that. You know what, we don't even get involved in that. See, that's not for us to do. And I want to share something with you because it's very important that we understand this concept. When it comes to this battle that we have or that we've been put into, see, you've, you're already in a fight. You've been put into this fight. You've been put into this fight when you said yes to Jesus. When you said yes to Jesus, Jesus, you automatically were put into this battle. See, but this battle that we must understand is not a battle between us and the devil. This battle is between God and the devil. This is why, do you remember when David fought against Goliath? What did David say when he fought against Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, 47? It says there, then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. Understand this, the battle is between God and the devil. 
The devil comes and fights with us. The devil wants to come and destroy us. But the battle is not between us and the devil. See, the battle between us or the battle that comes at us is because we're soldiers. We belong to the Lord. And I want to give you this example. When it comes to our nation, and I think you'll understand it this way. For example, we have Iran. We have uh, 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 North Korea, right? We have these nations that want to attack us, right? Do they say, hey, you know what, Tony, I am coming against you. I want to destroy you. They don't name me by name, do they? Who do they want to come against? The United States, right? See, they're not against you personally, but they're against who we serve. See, they're fighting against the United States of America. The same way as the devil fighting against who? The devil is fighting against God. And this is from Genesis 3, verse 5. I want to read this to you. It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. What seed are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus Christ. This is the battle. See, we're just soldiers. You and I have not been called to fight against the devil. It is the Lord's battle. See, and this is what you and I, as we understand this, right, we are... You know what, when it comes to the devil, it's the Lord's going to rebuke you. The Lord's going to have, you know what, the Lord's going to take care of you. The Lord's going to have victory over you. This isn't our battle to fight. You and I, there is no way that we can contend with the devil. You are not powerful enough to fight against the devil and to have victory over him. But you know who, who can have victory over the devil? The one that lives in you. See, that's the victory that we have. See, as we look at Ephesians, I want you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6. See, if we understand this principle that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, we are not out there to fight the devil. The devil already has a losing battle, and we're going to look at this in a second. But I want you to have this concept and to understand that you are not out there to go and pick fights with the devil. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says there, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having been and having done all to stand, you're just there to stand, to stand strong, not to fall into his dominion, into his lies, into his deception. See, you and I will have victory because the victory is already in us. You and I are only soldiers for the Lord, and we've been brought into this battle. And this battle that we have, it's against the enemies that come against us because we belong to God. But you and I do not go out fighting or picking a fight with the devil. He's too strong for you. He's too strong for you physically. He's too strong for you. And we're going to look at angels right now. We're going to look at just everything about, well, what the Lord put me to talk to you about angels. Because there's so much about angels and I can't tell you everything there is to know about angels in just a short time. When we look at angels, okay, I want you to read I want you to open up your Bibles to Colossians 1.16. We are now going to talk about angels. We're going to be talking about the messengers of God. Okay, and for us, you know what, some of these things maybe, maybe we know, and 
a lot, maybe some of these things we don't know. And maybe the Lord is just bringing a new perspective and the Holy Spirit is just bringing things to light. And he wants us to know these things and he wants us to understand these things because they are for a purpose. As we go through the word of God, everything here is for a purpose and it will be used for his glory and for his honor. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. We have here the fact that all angels were created by God. All things, right? Everything you see out in this world, it was created by God. Okay? Well, you may say, well, he didn't create the car. Well, no, he didn't create the car, but he created the, the metals and he created your brains to make the car, right? You couldn't have a car unless he created all of these things to make the components and to make it into a car. But I want, that's not where I wanted to go, but where I wanted to go was to let you know that God created the angels. And as we read here, right, in Colossians 1.16, I want you to see something that's very clear. He says, where the thrones or dominions or principalities or powers He's talking about a certain degree of excellence. He's talking about a certain degree of offices. He is talking right there about celestial offices. I want you to know that. As he talks about these thrones and these principalities and these powers, there are some celestial offices that he is talking about here. There are various offices of angels. I want you to know that, and this is what we're going to talk about. This is what we're going to spend the remainder of our time, okay? And, this, and in talking about the remainder of our time, we're going to talk about these angels. The first angel I want to talk about is an archangel. Because as we start from the top, right? Remember, these are created. These are not greater than God. And this is not who Jesus Christ was. As some cults preach that, that Jesus Christ is actually Mar Michael the archangel. This is none of that. Okay, Michael the archangel was created by God, by the Lord himself. And we know here that they call him the archangel. I want to look at the word ark. When you combine the word ark with any other word, you know what it means? It means that it is the chief, the leader, the principal. That's what the word, when it's combined with another word, that's what it means. So when you combine the word ark and angel, it is trying to tell us that Michael the archangel is the leader. He is actually one of the principals. He is actually one of the chiefs when it comes to the angels. This is who God sent out, and God used them in various areas. And this area that he sends them today was, I want you to go battle with Satan, because Satan, I see him. I, 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 I know that he's devising a plan to get the body of Moses, and what I want you to do is I want you to go, and I want you to battle, and you're going to win. And so what we have here is we have the fact that Michael the archangel, the angel that is chief, he goes out and does this. I want you to understand when it comes to the archangel. See, he, whenever you have the word archangel, it is never in plural form. And it is never an archangel. Because an would symbolize that there is other archangels. Here he says the archangel. So in other words, there is no other archangel. There is only one archangel. And this archangel that we have is Michael. Imagine that. It's going to be awesome when we see Michael because we're going to see this amazing creative being that is going to, that leads the other angels. Of course, his authority is God, but he is a leader of the angels. And it's going to be amazing. And so as we think about this, right, we think to ourselves, 
if he is the leader of these angelic beings, then we know that there is order within the heavenly kingdom. There's always order when it comes to God's kingdom. Even here in the church, there has to be order or there will be chaos. See, when even in God himself, there is order, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God who? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And that's what we called upon right now, right? To just move powerfully and to speak. We called upon Jesus, God the Father. I mean, this is who we call upon, but there is order within, within God himself. And the same thing it is with the angels. You have Michael the archangel. And you know what his na name means? Michael means who is like unto the Lord. Who is like unto the Lord. One thing we know about Michael, and this is from the Old Testament. I'm going to give you these scriptures. Daniel 12, chapter, uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. It sort of gives us a description of Michael here. And this is over Israel, right? Over the children of God. In, my, in Daniel 12, verse 1, it says, At that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. So we have a responsibility that has been given to Michael, not only in the heavenly kingdom, but also with the people of Israel, with the children of God. What is he designed to do, as it says there? Who's going to stand watch over the people. Imagine that. That's an amazing responsibility. I want you to open up your Bibles to Revelation. This one I do want you to open up. We're going to read this. We're going to read in, in uh, Revelation chapter 12. And we're going to read from verses 7 through 12. And again, you're going to see how Michael and Satan, they're always struggling, right? Because God is going to send, it's like anyone else, right? You're going to send the very best to fight against an enemy that has great power, right? And so what God does is he sends Michael to battle against the devil. And this is what we're going to read about in, my, in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. It says, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels, there we go, Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil, the accuser and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He, has cast, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. <clears throat> and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they, they, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and, and the sea. For the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows that he has a short time. Isn't this awesome to know? The devil already knows he has a short time. Why do you think he's creating such havoc, great havoc today? He knows his time is near. And it is more near today than it was back then. The Lord is coming back soon. And the Lord and the devil knows that his time is short. But we see here, we continue to see these battles. And these battles that are going on are battles that you and I can't even see. You and I can't even fathom how it looks. Imagine these demonic beings fighting against Michael and, and the angelic beings. 
It must be an amazing sight. I know we could not survive by looking at that, but one day we will. One day we're going to be able to see these things. Did you know that Michael is also used when the Lord raptures the church? Let's think about this, right? Let's open up our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. First Thessalonians four. First Thessalonians four, verse sixteen. We all know that the church is going to get raptured, and we know that this rapture is going to come soon, and we know that there's certain things that, I mean, for the rapture of the church to take place, there's no more prophecy to be spoken of. It is just waiting to happen, okay? We're talking about the taking up of the church of God into the heavenly places, and then the tribulation period will begin. But it says here in verse 16, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, rapturot, raptured, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Go back to verse 16. It says, with the voice of an archangel. There's going to be a shout that Michael gives. Whatever that voice is, whatever he speaks, we will know. And there is also going to be a trumpet. And we also know that, uh, that this is when God will come down on a cloud. And he will, you know what? It's just going to be amazing. And we're all going to be met. We're going to meet with the Lord and this is going to be an amazing time. As we see here, we have Michael the archangel, right? But there are other angels mentioned in the Bible. We all know another one that is very familiar to us, right? We all know there's also one that is a messenger, right? Who is this messenger? I think most of us know, some of you are saying it, it's Gabriel. Gabriel is another angel that is mentioned in the Bible. When it comes to Gabriel, he doesn't have like sort of a title because we're going to talk about two other types of angels. He, they just call him the angel. Okay, so he's just an angel. He's just like other angels, right? But he has more power or, or he has been given higher ranking above other angels. The name Gabriel means God's hero or the strong one or the mighty one. And we know that Gabriel was used by the Lord to take message, messages. He had messages to give to various people. One we know that he gave to Daniel, right? And Daniel chapter 8 and 9 speaks about the message that Gabriel had for Daniel about the end times. You know, about what you see happening. And we also know that in the New Testament, Gabriel was actually sent to give Zacharias, right? The one who didn't believe that uh, he could have a son. And so he announced that John the Baptist was coming, right? And we also know that Gabriel announced to Mary that she would have who? Jesus, right? Baby Jesus. And so we see here when it comes to Gabriel that, you know what? That he's used to give messages. Let's talk about the third uh, group of angels. We have these angels called the seraphim. The seraphim angels. And seraphim means burning ones, okay? And these actually are or appear to follow the order of the archangel, and the angel. Okay, again, remember, there's hierarchy, right? There's, there's different degrees. 
of, of authority. And so the seraphim angels actually appear in Isaiah chapter 6. Let's open up our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, and actually uh, I think Richard mentioned this scripture below, uh, or I think he was alluding to it. Well, you know what, who's the Lord going to send? Send us, right? Send us. And so as we see here in Isaiah chapter 6, in verse 1, you know, this is when, the, when Isaiah was able to see the throne room of God, an amazing and a beautiful sight. And we know that there were others who saw it. Ezekiel saw it. We saw Paul that saw it. We, saw, we know that John, the apostle John, saw the throne room of God. Here in verse 1 it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train, the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Here's the other group of angels, seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips." And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my, my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the thongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your inequity is taken away and your sin purged. What we have here is we have seraphim angels. And they all have six, uh, they have six wings. And we know that with, one of the, with two of the wings, they cover their face. With other two, they cover their feet. And with the other two, they flew. Imagine that. Imagine this sight. It must have been an amazing sight, right? Just to see this and to see these seraphim that are actually above, as it says there, the throne of the Lord. They're above the throne. They're not next to or beside the throne. They are above the throne. And this is what they're doing. They're, just, uh, they're speaking these things. And we also see that they also have the ability to cleanse and purify the people of God. As you see here, what did they do? They brought that coal and they touched Isaiah. They touched his lips with it. See, these are angels that are just unbelievable this sight we're going to see it when we get to heaven we're going to see the throne room of god and we're going to see these seraphim but then there's also cherubim right there's also cherubim angels and the cherubim are not above the throne they are actually beside the throne do you remember the uh, the the ark of the uh, of the covenant and the mercy seat where are the the cherubim those are cherubim they're besides the throne room of god See, they all have their responsibilities. Every single one of them have their responsibilities to do. Ezekiel 10, and we don't have time for it, but you can read about these cherubim angels. But I do want to give you one point when it comes to the cherubim angels or, this, uh, or a cherubim. In Genesis 3, verse 24, do you remember when Adam and Eve sinned and they couldn't go back into the garden? And so what, did, what kind of angel did the Lord put to cover the tree of life? He put a cherubim there. See, he can assign them to do different things. And this cherubim wasn't always besides the throne room of God, but he put them down there to stop anybody from continuing to, uh, to take of the fruit. What I want to give you, 
And the reason I, I explain these angels to you, because they are magnificent, they are beautiful, they are just an amazing, thing, amazing creative beings. These angels, do you know one thing about the angels? You all have angels, right? We have angels assigned to us, which is amazing, right? I'm going to share this from Psalm 91, 11. It says, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. What happens here is there's a demonic struggle for all of us, right? And these angels, these demonic angels, they want you too, right? And there is a, fa a battle, a struggle, and these angels are there to protect you. They're, to, they're there to keep charge over you. We have to go quickly because we're running out of time. One thing that I want you to know is, I want you to understand one thing about angels. How many angels do you think there are? There are just millions of angels. I want to give you some scriptures. From Hebrews 12.22, it tells us that the angels, the in, there are an innumerable company of angels. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. There are millions and millions of angels. Revelation 5.11 says, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. This is amazing. There are so many angels out there. And do you know when Jesus came down to give the law, the presence of God was there to give the law to Moses and to the people? Did you know that 10,000 angels came down with him? This is in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2. The, they are so organized and they are just amazing. Because of this, because they're amazing and because the devil wants to take away the worship of God and he knows that these angels are so beautiful, you know what the devil does? He puts it in people's hearts to begin to worship angels. Are you and I supposed to worship any angels? Understand this, we are not. The only one that deserves worship, praise, glory, and honor is Jesus Christ, is the Lord, is God himself. See, we do not worship angels. And this is, again, back to uh, Exodus 20, verse 4. Not making yourself a carved image of any likeness that is in heaven, that is in, in earth, and that is in the earth, in the sea beneath. Angels are extremely powerful. Do you remember what happened with the angel in the lion's den? Did you know that it was an angel that stopped the mouth of the lion from devouring Daniel? This is what Daniel wrote. He said, my God sent his angel and shut the, the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Imagine that. Just to picture the angel, whoever he sent, whatever angel it was, just shutting the mouths of the lions. Imagine. Amazing, right? I want to give you another one. Look at how powerful these angels are. Second Kings 19.35. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when the people rose early in the morning, there were corpses all dead. 185,000 people were killed by what? One angel. One angel. Imagine the power and, and to think that Michael the archangel, as powerful as he is, he still didn't curse the devil. Think of that. What do you say the Lord rebuked you? And you know what's so amazing about angels? Is that angels are here to serve you. 
They're here to protect us. I'm going to read to you from Hebrews 1.14. It says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? They are here to serve us. They're here to protect us. They're here to help us. Imagine that you and I have angels, these powerful beings assigned to us. I mean, wouldn't that bring us great, great comfort? When it comes to angels, I'm going to share this with you. When it comes to angels, they are already constant number. They don't multiply. There's no more. God already created all of these angels, and that's it. See, in Matthew 22, verse 30, it says, For, the re for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. They don't marry. They don't procreate. They don't multiply. That's it. Angels are constant. But you know that God isn't going to say, you know what, I'm going to make more angels. Or I'm going to have them procreate and multiply and make you more little baby angels. It doesn't happen that way. God just says, you know what, that's it. But you know, one thing about the angels is that some angels are going to be cast into the lake of fire. Imagine these beautiful created beings. Even when we look at the uh, saint himself, the Bible tells us that we're all going to say, you were the one that created the problems? Look at how beautiful you are. I'm going to share this with you. A third of the angels from Revelation 12, verse 4, it says his tail, we're talking about the devil, drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. A third of the angels were cast out because they rebelled with Satan. And I want to read to you because Satan was Lucifer before he came. Satan was the angel Lucifer before he became the devil himself. And one thing that people say is it's possible that Lucifer was also an archangel. It's a possibility. But there's only one left now, and that is Michael the archangel. Let's read from Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, it says in verse 12, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest parts of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? Understand one thing about Satan. His time is short. You and I, when it comes to Satan, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Understand about Satan and the devil and his minions. You know what? They have no charge over you. You know what? They will create problems. They will create habit. They will try to hurt you, and they will try to do all these things. But know one thing about God. God has a perfect plan for you. God will protect you. God will give you victory. God loves you, and God will not allow them to destroy you. Understand when it comes to Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can separate you from his love. And you know, one thing we know, as my sister said, amen. God loves us. And these angels, these demonic angels, understand one thing. We don't battle them. We're not here to curse them. We leave that up to the Lord. The battle is between him and them, not us. We're just here to carry out what God has called us to do. You and I are here for a purpose. Our purpose is to share the kingdom, is to share the gospel, is to bring the good news to others. Our purpose here is to glorify God in all that we do. 
Our purpose is to, is to just allow Him to be magnified and glorified through us. What was intended for evil in bringing us to this part, the devil is screaming and saying, yeah, but God is saying, I'm going to turn it into good. God is going to use us for this city. God is already allowing us to be used in this city. People are hearing about us. People are knowing that we're here, and it is all for God's glory and for His kingdom. You know what? We will have victory over this because the victory belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to Him, and you and I will have victory. And you know what? It is a time to rejoice because the fact is, is that God lives in us and God is for us and who can be against us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for reminding us, Lord, of these wonderful things, Lord, when it comes to this, these messengers of, of Satan and also your messengers, Lord, and most of all, Lord, your love and your care for us as instruments, Lord, because we are also messengers. As we have these evil messengers that try to come into the church, you have us as messengers that belong to you to take your gospel out, Lord. Lord, there's two types of messengers. What messengers are we going to be of? Who are we going to belong to? The choice is ours. The choice is yours and mine's. Who do we want to serve? Who do we want to belong to? If there's anyone here that maybe, you know what, maybe you haven't completely surrendered yourself to the Lord. You hear the scriptures, you hear the truth of God, and God is asking you, you know what, who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve me or are you going to serve the devil? Are you going to belong to me or are you going to belong to the devil? You know what, we have to come to a place as the Bible says, and it's not what anyone says, it's what the Bible says. That if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. It's a matter of confessing Jesus Christ to be Lord. If you want to surrender yourself to Jesus Christ and belong to him and to be a messenger of him, we give you this opportunity to do this now. If there's anybody that wants to surrender themselves or recommit themselves to the Lord, raise your hand. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Before we close, anyone else? God wants you to do this. And I know God is speaking to others. Don't listen to that voice of the devil that's telling you no, not to do it. Why wouldn't you want to listen to the heavenly king who is telling you, surrender yourself to me? Maybe you've been walking in, ma in a manner that doesn't bring glory and honor to the Lord. Maybe you're sinning out there, and maybe you're still dabbling with the world and dabbling in, in, in Christianity, and the Lord is asking you, make a stand for me today. No longer work, no longer do these these deeds of sin and, and inequity, but now serve me fully. Anybody that wants to recommit their lives to the Lord or to say, you know what, I'm yours. I want to give myself to you. Raise your hand and, and, and serve him only. Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? Anyone else? Lord, you thank, I thank you for these hands that went up, Lord. Lord, may you continue to receive glory and honor, Lord, and praise. I mean, you continue to speak to us, Lord, about the truth that comes from your word. This is all we want to give out, Lord. This is all we want to receive. Holy Spirit, impart truth to us. As we leave this place, may we meditate and ponder on these things. Lord, we want to give you praise, glory, and honor. We love you for speaking to us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.